0: Welcome everyone back to another episode of the Hoops Addicts Anonymous podcast, an Elite Sports NY production recording on the evening of August 26th, Wednesday just a little after 6 o'clock very different podcast than uh, Chip and I are used to hosting. Uh, we do have a Philadelphia 76ers podcast um, with a great guest lined up, but we uh, did want to start by just kind of acknowledging what's going on in the NBA right now. As I'm sure anyone who will have listened to this podcast by the time that it goes up has heard uh, in light of the shooting of uh, Jacob Blake. Um, the NBA has canceled, and the players have boycotted all three games scheduled for this evening, which includes the Milwaukee Bucks, Orlando Magic, um, the Houston Rockets, Oklahoma City Thunder, um, and the Los Angeles Lakers and the Portland Trailblazers. Um, just a massive story. Uh, a lot of you know feelings and emotions amidst the players and, and everyone involved, and us as well. Uh, I, you know, I know uh, watching Doc Rivers' post-game interview last night was very difficult to watch. Um, seeing him get emotional and, and talk about the systemic issues of uh, police brutality in this country, and um, you know, we are just obviously it, th- there's a lot that goes into it. Um, you know, but it's a it's a difficult time. And as as best as we can, you know, we will try and transition into our you know regular basketball talk here, but. It's obviously a tough situation, and, um, you know, obviously, Chip, if if you have any thoughts, any words, and um, before we... No,
1: nothing more than that, really. I just... Yeah, yeah, I agree with you about the Doc Rivers thing. That, That was just so impressive to watch, and I think some people were saying, like, I think everyone's gonna, like, remember this moment. Like, as an NBA fan, everyone was tweeting how impressed they were by what the players did today, and I don't think anyone... Had a negative word to say. It was so impressive what the what the players did today, and yeah, it was just impressive. And it was surreal to watch, like the stuff with the When it, as it was unfolding, the stuff with the the box, it was just very impressive what these guys did today.
0: It's definitely a feeling of solidarity for sure. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And with that, as best as we can, try and transition. Uh, we want to introduce our awesome guest today. Uh, very pumped to have SB Nations uh david early who writes for liberty ballers he is an editor and a writer there knows a ton of stuff related to the philadelphia 76ers there's obviously a whole bunch of um things that have happened with that franchise in recent days and and who bests in someone who covers that team really closely uh dave welcome to the show it feels weird to be asking you this question how you doing but how you doing
2: hey guys i really appreciate you having me on and, and yeah yeah I'm, you know i had my eyes glued to NBA TV and Twitter, just like you guys probably did. I, I didn't expect what we saw happen. Um, but I, but I do support the players and I'm sort of, uh, you know, it does, it does feel like sometimes it's silly to just to talk about sports when there's stuff like this going on. So I'm glad the players are taking the lead there and, uh, you know, support them in in this, I guess, as of now, it's a boycott and we'll see, they're going to meet and talk about it and we'll see if that gets bigger.
0: Yeah, I mean, certainly with the games uh, upcoming tomorrow and in future days, there's going to be a lot of eyes um, on that as well. Um, And, you know, also, uh, you know, with a a team that is now out of the bubble, uh, you know, certainly a lot of eyes on them as well. Uh, The Philadelphia 76ers, a team with a lot of talent, um, you know, with a lot of length, uh, you know, great players. You know, ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, a team with a lot of high expectations this year, certainly a coach that was on the hot seat and Brett Brown. Uh, I guess the first thing I want to start with, uh, Dave, is just what is your reaction to the 76ers being out of the playoffs, uh, losing to the Miami Heat? You know, there were uh, some – I'm sorry, wow, the Miami Heat, the, the Boston <laughs> Celtics, apologies. Um, Celtics. You know, there were some, some games uh, – that they were in it. Uh, Joel Embiid had some great performances here and there, but um, you know, overall, couldn't get a real hold on that series. Uh, so, what is your your first reaction to that?
2: I mean, you know, my reaction is that it was pretty pretty ugly. Everything deserves like the massive disclaimer that their second best player, maybe a top twenty player, was out. Yep. So, I think that would probably happen to pretty much any any team. we we're, we're going to see how the Mavs look without. Porzingis, and it's probably not going to end up pretty for them. So, other than that, it, it was bad. Like, they they really really messed up over the last couple of years in terms of personnel and decision making from a ma- management. I know, as Knicks fans, um, you guys know a little something about that. Oh, we
0: can relate. We can relate big time. Yes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it did feel like just just some massive missteps. Uh, that led to a, d- a dismantling, really. And I know Embiid was good, but... Um, yeah. It, <laughs> the sweep the sweep was, was a statement. And I, I know there were some Sixers fans who actually felt like, well, this is good because we need to feel that statement. We need to see it. We need ownership to see it and feel it so that they can't just double down. Um, we had a press conference yesterday from Elton Brand who who gave us sort of an interesting spin. He talked about how when he took over two years ago, it was, uh, he was in over his head and he had some tough decisions to make. He was learning on the fly, but now he wants to put his stamp on this team. So it feels, it feels pretty weird. I think that's, um, it's a hard thing to, to sell to the fan base, isn't it? That this guy who was, essentially responsible, although Sixers fans question how responsible with Elton. um is he the best person to try to right this weird sinking ship.
0: I uh, I I'm happy that you mentioned uh you know the weird roster construction here and there. <laughs> Certainly, you know, Brand um holds some responsibility there. But I, I do also kinda wanna touch on Brett Brown here and, and ask specifically, you know, what was his downfall? And I and I'm gonna Preface that question by saying the roster as a whole, and again, it's got talent. Like, I like a lot of players on the 76ers. Matthias Teibel, uh, Josh Richardson. Um, I could go on down the list. But the the roster as a whole did not seem to fit its two best players. There was a lot of talent there. There was rumors that Brown feuded with uh, Jimmy Butler last year. I don't know 100% how true that is because I, I also remember that um, – he essentially gave the ball to Jimmy Butler and took some of the primary ball handling duties out of Ben Simmons's hands and Butler had said that on a podcast I think with JJ Redick um yeah. so what what was Brown's downfall because I I know from an X's and O's standpoint I've heard from some people that that felt that he was not particularly strong but this man, you know, he was he was there through everything, right? Like he saw this team through back-to-back, you know, under 20 season Wins, I'm pretty sure. Ten wins. Ten yeah. wins. I mean, that's that's wild, man. Like giving that, that a coach that that type of success is unheard of. Um, that type of support is unheard of in today's NBA. So, what do you think ultimately um, is his downfall here?
2: I, I guess the the fair knocks. The two fair knocks are adjustments. He he's not known league wide as one of the best X's and O coaches. I think there's some stat that the team's net rating in the second half. Uh, with him in the probably the three years that are even fair to evaluate him on when the team's pretty good is not great. So, you know, in-game adjustments is not always seen as something that he was the greatest at. Uh, and the other big thing is accountability. He's not, he doesn't have the reputation of being very, very hard on players. And that goes all the way back. I mean, that goes back to Nerlens Noel, Jaleel Okafor, Embiid in the earliest years, even when he wasn't playing, but he was around the team. Um, and then, yeah. And then that goes on down the road, Ben Simmons and not shooting. You know, he had that pretty, pretty infamous press conference where he said, you could tell Ben and you can tell his agent. I want one, three a game. And, um, it was reported by your Weitzman for bleach report that Ben was irked by that comment. Mm. So I, I think that he's, those are his two downfalls, adjustments and accountability. I think between, between us, like, he, the writing was on the wall for him all the way back when they traded Covington because bringing in Jimmy Butler is, is risky. Jimmy is a guy who likes running lots of pig and rolls, lots of isolations, and that was not at all Brett's MO. He, he came from the Spurs, he wanted this like motion, motion, eagle, yeah. We passed the beautiful game, and that's what he wanted to run in Philadelphia, and so immediately there was. Um, I think you asked about it. There was definitely tension. Uh, I I reported that the Sixers starting five was essentially down to run it back last summer. Mm -hmm. And most of the tension that people talked about was between Butler and the coaching staff. Although, I don't think that that's why he didn't come back. Well, he he didn't come back because... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no.
1: Go ahead. I don't want to cut. I thought thought he said he didn't come back just because... Like he, uh, they weren't willing to pay him. Wasn't that like the like it was the same with the T Wolves? Like the T Wolves didn't want
2: to pay him, and the Sixers didn't want to pay him. Yes, yeah, the it was. Sixers did not offer him a max. So yeah. that was that was the bottom line. I was getting more specific with why it didn't happen. Like why did they not offer him the max? Why would he mm-hmm. have maybe not been fully open to um, you know the recruitment process and all that? think it sort of devolved on them
0: chip um, I was gonna pass it to you
2: yeah
1: yeah I uh, I have a question Dave because I was reading uh, your blog today about a uh, brand's press conference and uh, you bring up Ty Lu who uh, as a possible replacement for Brett Brown who is being talked about I think for pretty much every job so I wanted to ask you uh, as a fan of the Sixers, if uh, you'd like him for the job, and if you think he's going to get it, and who you see as some possible other candidates to replace Brett Brown.
2: Yeah, I would be down for Lou. Um, I know, that, I know, people make jokes that who couldn't have won with LeBron and Kyrie, um, but but I think that it's probably underrated that uh, it's it's pretty difficult to coach LeBron. I mean, does does he always want to be coached? And Kyrie is quite the artist, <laughs> and I think he's probably quite difficult to coach too, as Kenny Atkinson has learned. Right. He didn't even coach him that much, right? So uh, I like Lou. I think that his I think that his offensive playbook was solid. I think that the defense that they put out there to win the championship was really impressive. And I think the biggest thing that the Sixers probably need is a voice that's a lot different from Brett's that will hold superstars more accountable I think Embiid could use that I think Simmons can use that and you know that's probably a a good complete bout face you know when people date one type of person and and then it doesn't go well and they want someone who's you know if you date someone who's type A then suddenly you want to switch and date like a very artistic person right Um, I think they, they could use a little a little change there
0: do you see? Um, I'm trying to think of the jobs that are open. So there's the Pacers, um, the 76ers, you know, who knows if. Pelicans. Pelicans. Um,
2: Bulls, right? Yeah, you're Bulls. right. The Bulls, the Bulls. Yeah, the as Bulls. Well. Uh, our assistant coach, Imei Yudoka, is actually. It was reported that he's a frontrunner for that position wow. at one point.
0: I think uh, I the 76ers, they? I would assume, are, are probably uh, pretty high on that list. Yeah. Um, what about, let's just say, you know, what do you think of a fit, you know, because it's already been rumored today that Mike D'Antoni's is in the final year of his contract and he is, has already been somewhat linked to the Indiana Pacers and he's not even out of the seat in Houston. Um, what do you think about a, a potential fit with D'Antoni in Philly?
2: I think he, I mean, he's clearly got a case for the Hall of Fame. He's one of the best coaches. But his style, like the times where it has not worked out with him, you know, in New York, he had Melo. Melo wanted to play tons of ISO ball. I I thought that – it's actually weird to me that Melo should have been open-minded to what D'Antoni – can you imagine if D'Antoni got him to play some sort of point-forward role? He might have had some crazy seasons. Yeah. But he wanted to do it his way. And it didn't work out for him there, and it didn't work out for him in L.A., where he had Dwight, who wanted to post up all the time, and Kobe, who wanted to play Kobe ball. But the times it has, when he's got this triple-thread dynamic point guard, basically, who can shoot, he can conduct a masterpiece. So it doesn't, on paper, it's not a fit for Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, but I'd be willing to give him the benefit of the doubt if, if they could bring in, like, a Chris Paul or something, or... If there was some way to at least get them a guard or two, I think he's got a good basketball mind and he's pretty innovative. So it might be worth a shot.
0: Um, I think the next place I want to go, and we've already talked about it, is, um, is Elton Brand. So I actually didn't see that part of the, the press conference that I think that's a really interesting statement for him to make. I was in over my head. And, I mean, on some level, it's kind of an obvious, right? I mean, that was his first big general manager gig. I, I get it, but, I mean, man, for the general manager of your franchise to say that publicly, um, I think it, it, it's, you know, going to raise some eyebrows a little bit. But I guess what I'm trying to ask is I've seen so much slander his way recently. Is he really as bad as as everyone feels? I do remember... Um, the Al Horford money is obviously ridiculous, but I do remember the signing <laughs> at the time, and I felt... Somewhat positive about it, just because I I do know that uh, defensively they were trying to spell Joel Embiid um, when he wasn't on the court and give some insurance for him. Uh, Horford at the time was still, uh, you know, a fairly reliable three-point shooter, a very smart player. Um, And I know Chip and I have talked about this on other podcasts. Like no one could—I mean, like Al Horford got old really quickly, and I don't know that anyone could have. Foreseeing that, I mean, maybe, maybe you did, you know, like maybe Celtics did. Celtics (laughs) did. I guess, yeah, I guess they did. But you know, is is Brand really as bad as um, as everyone says he is?
2: Yeah. So it's it's a very complicated question. It's a really good question. I I was dead set against the Horford piece. I wrote I wrote an article before they signed him when it was rumored that they might, Uh, and I talked about his patellofemoral syndrome. If you watched him play against the Bucks. this is Horford, uh, in the playoffs last year, he was a monster in Game 1, having battled this left knee tendonitis all season long, like, off and on, always on the injury report. Celtics fans knew he missed a bunch of time in December. And, but he came out and he, like, blocked Giannis three times, and the Celtics stole Game 1, and it looked pretty good. I think Paul Pierce has that sort of famous, Boston's going to win this series, it's over. It's a wrap. And then you know what happened next bucks rattled off like the next four games and won. and Horford was getting more and more treatment. I mean, he was on the sidelines all the time with this massive heat packs on his knee. He was getting stretched out and that was all on TV. Like you could go and pull up the nine, 10 minute highlight videos and see the exact same thing I'm talking about. So I just didn't understand your, your closing lineup can't have Horford and Embiid. It didn't make sense a year ago. I know a lot of people talk themselves into it, but my friends checked on me. They were like, Dave, are you good? Because <laughs> they just signed Horford over $100 million. And I was like,
0: no, oh, I miss Jimmy.
2: <laughs> um, and so to the other point about brand, the the joke that sometimes I make is, well, we don't know what if brand is making any of these calls. Right. If you really dig deep into the Sixers power structure, I think – you learn that he had a voice. The way Woj put it at one point was, Elton Brand is a GM, but there is a lot of voices and some on the business side. And these questions go around and around. And, and he's right. He's talking about two managing partners, Josh Harris and David Blitzer. He's talking about CEO, who you guys might remember from the Knicks days, Scott O'Neill. He was advocating Dolan to get on the phone with Masai and trade for Melo and Push, help push that through, and Dolan did. Dolan got on the phone himself and and helped up the price on, uh, you know, all right, Wilson Chandler, all right, Moscow. So they've got those guys. Then they've got Brand, and they had a couple of the Colangelo lieutenants, like um, Alex Rucker, at that table too. And so you wonder: Is it possible that Brand, uh, that Elton Brand hasn't been making? These calls, is it possible that he said, I want let's keep Jimmy Butler and JJ Reddick? And now they remember that. And they're thinking, Well, Elton was always right. We didn't listen to him. Yeah. He's a good guy. He's got good relationships around the league. Let's give him a chance. I can't rule that out. So it's tough to completely pin this all on him. All that being said, there's still nothing that makes me think he's the best guy to steward to to write the ship and like land the plane of this weird process.
0: And I think um that's so. That kind of ties into, I, I guess. To what extent do you think that this restructuring is going to? Um, I guess what what is it going to look like? Past, you know, I, I believe Brandon said that analytics will be more involved in r- roster construction, uh, maybe personnel decisions, things like that. It's funny. Well, he said
2: he said the opposite. He said, Oh, really? We want more. Yeah, they have been very analytics heavy. There's okay. even this rumor that the analytics department was running everything. Okay. And he said- That makes no more. sense. Yeah. <laughs> it makes no- Given yeah, how the team looks. <laughs> right. What analytics department comes out and tells you to spend $300 million on power forwards and centers to complement your power, yeah. power forwards right. and centers, right? Right. I think that was a Sixers Adam tweet that I read.
0: That's uh, that's really interesting. Um, yeah. I, I guess I, I would have thought it was the opposite because- it, it's funny because I, I guess I just assumed from the Hinky days that everything was extremely analytics heavy. Um,
2: it was. It was then. And these guys, the, you know, the owners of the team, they made their money making data-driven practices in, right. in private equity. And so they, they that's why they hired Hinky. And they wanted that and they liked it. Uh, they knew that they had to sell, let's go in another direction, more basketball people because this was getting – crazy in the media at the time. You know, Oprah's getting in fights and everyone is making fun of them for losing every game. So I think they spun it like they're going in a completely different direction, but they really didn't. They have had one of the biggest analytic staffs in the NBA and they have a lot of say in that team, which is very weird because they take as many mid range long twos as anyone. So you wonder like, how is this analytics department even coming up with this advice? But yeah, he said more more basketball minds. So we're all like, oh, what does that mean? He's gonna hire like, oh, I don't he used know. that that one.
1: Yeah, the basketball. Who's that's the best one. The basketball. We want basketball guys
2: around here. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Like your pool of candidates that Elton might hire is gotta be slim. When you hear work under the guy who signed Horford to 100 million and Harris to 180 million. And be a basketball guy. Who are we think? Who are we talking about here? Would yes. Scott Perry even want that job? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. that would know. be that would be interesting. I mean, yeah, he's been rumored with uh, with some of the the Kings' vacancies. Mm-hmm. His his record. I yeah. mean, his record is is very up and down. I I, I actually was not um, that critical of of Leon Rose keeping him on for a year, especially. When he had done some work with the draft already, um, I like some of the picks. Obviously, picking Mitchell Robinson is is a nice feather in his cap. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I talked about this also on a, on another podcast, on a Knicks podcast, and it's it's weird sometimes when you hear certain executives and like specifically executives with the Knicks talk about analytics. Um, and then we had someone confirm this to us. Like they typically say, "Well, it's like a tool that you use, but you know, it's not the whole thing." And that's typically like code for like we don't give a shit about your computer. You know, like we don't want to hear it. Like
2: <laughs> if if it says what we think already, we'll do it.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. If it confirms what the eye test is telling me, then yeah, why not? I'll do it. But um, as we've seen with the Knicks, as and specifically this past season. Spacing was horrible. Um, You know, at least some of the guys that we brought in were perceived, you know, to be really good three-point shooters. Um, We had two coaches, you know, Coach Ellington. Yeah, I mean, Ellington Bullock. um, You know, even though Bobby Portis played like crap, he did. I know he shot, I believe, 38 or 39 percent last year. Um, Morris is on fire. Morris killed it, you know. But um, but obviously, you know, the spacing was was incredibly weird and clunky all year, and, and <laughs> that you know, Leon Rose yeah. at least has been rumored so far to have, you know, gotten on the right side of that and, and hired some more uh, people that are analytics driven. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, I, let
2: me give you a soundbite here. Yeah. I have more faith in, in Leon Rose's front office and the Knicks front office than I do in the Sixers right now. Wow.
0: I mean, that. yeah. Wow. That's, that's a big statement.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, after after seeing what we've seen from the Sixers over the last couple of years, you know, trading so much for Butler and then letting him go right without even an offer and then overpaying to trade for Harris and then overpaying Harris to keep and then complimenting Embiid with – Josh Richardson and Horford—it's so weird. So now, and they're, they're essentially saying we wanted to give Elton Brand more power. Maybe he didn't have any. Why would I have much faith that things are going to be good? Whereas Leon is a complete wild card. And so far, you like what you've heard. He wants to hoard his assets. Maybe he might splurge on Van Vliet. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Uh, how much? Um, how much of the the Sixers? I guess like dysfunction. I don't know, because I feel like when you're a franchise and you make that transition from having this nice group of young players uh, to a perennial contender, that's when it's like you start making decisions that are more um, now-based, you know, and I'm not, you know, theirs weren't correct, you know, but I think it's, it is, it is tough. Like, I, I do think on some level you have to shoot for it when it becomes available and those trades really didn't work out, but I, I do wonder, like, I guess I'm trying to think of the other teams that have done it, um, you know, a little bit better, I mean, clearly Boston is is one that I guess would come to mind, you know, signing Kemba, Well, although, not, although the Gordon Hayward,
1: really, I mean, they traded yeah. for Kyrie and that was a miss, right, so they've, they have failed too,
0: Right. That's true. We, we change our true. mind
2: on Boston like every year, right? Like, yeah, okay, they exactly. got Kyrie, they're they're a dynasty and then they lose Kyrie and they're not and now they are again.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's still early to say. I Whatever. They have, I don't know. They're sort of in I, good shape moving forward.
2: Yeah. They're but in you're good not, shape moving, you're not moving forward. forward.
0: Well, it's it's interesting because I I was uh when they signed Kemba I I was very wary of just like their cap situation in general because they gave Jalen Brown, well, that's, I mean, afterwards, but they gave Jalen Brown the extension. Gordon Hayward was still in the books for, I I think, two or three seasons, and they hadn't signed Tatum yet. I mean, they still haven't, but like, that's a lot of. That's a lot. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Tatum's getting a max. Oh, for for sure. But it's just a lot of money to have tied up in Tatum, Brown, Walker. (laughs) Like, if you, you know, if you would ask me if that's a championship team, I would have a hard time saying yes. But this was also before Jalen Brown made the progression that he did. Even with the progression, I would still have a hard time just based on who they would have to play in the West. Um, but you know, that's those are the tough decisions I feel like you have to make when it when it gets to that point.
2: Yeah, I mean, dude shot like thirty eight percent from three this year. He was he was legit Brown. Right. Yeah, um, but right. I. I Agreed that around 2018, that the Sixers should have expedited their sort of process, no pun. But, um, you know, they, they made that draft day trade, which I liked at the time. They traded, they drafted Mikael Bridges and like brought him around and interviewed him. And then they traded him for a yeah. pick because Kawhi Leonard was floating around. They wanted him and they wanted maybe someone else, a third star. And I was down for that. I thought, you know, you want that ammo. You want to make big splats to complete your, your process here. Um, and when they got Butler, I thought they got a great price on him. If they had just maxed Butler, plan to do that all along, they, I think they would have been fine. Harris was an overpay, but if he's your, like, remember when they had JJ Redick, Harris was literally like their fifth option a lot of nights. And I think that would have been fine. He would have been one of the most, like, beloved fourth or fifth options in the league. People wouldn't hold him to this crazy standard that they do now.
0: Yeah,
1: I. Uh, I, I. Well, he was making, he's making forty million dollars in four years. So now they're holding to an insane standard. I feel like it's but, terrible. As, Without, as they should.
2: Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, but he's. So I mean, he's just making too much nine. money. Yep. It's no, no, be no. no sorry, contracts. go ahead. It's got to be one of the worst contracts in the league. Yeah, um, it's gonna. I, I mean, it has to be
1: easily one of the worst contracts in the league. But yep. no, I I just wanted to ask you uh, about the uh, actual playoff series real quick. Not mm-hmm. not as much about the playoff series, but just about Harris and Horford and how you view those contracts going forward and like because those are. I mean, the Horford contract is probably the worst contract in the league, and. I'm sure the Sixers would love to get off that, but do you see any path that the Sixers can take to get off the Horford deal? I
2: actually, I actually think Horford would be easier to move than Harris because he's due like half as much money. I think, you know, twenty-seven million, twenty-seven million, and then twelve and a half million. So another six-four. Harris is due another twice that, pretty much. Uh, and Horford is maybe better than Harris. You know, he's a two-way player. If you didn't put him next to a center and you let him play center, he's a really you know, when he was in Boston, they put these triple threat wings all around him and he looked really good. And I think he could do that for sixty regular seasons a game and then uh, you know, produce in the playoffs. So I, I do think there's a path to moving Horford. It would probably take like Matisse Steible, Zaire Smith and a pick or two. Mm. So if they wanted to do that, you know, I I couldn't really fault them for it. I think the other factor that they'll be considering is a shrinking cap and and tax line so that they could owe these like historic, ridiculous sums of of tax money that they'll be really looking to get away from. So if the league doesn't give them an amnesty clause, they could really get generous in terms of incentivizing a Charlotte or someone to take Orford,
0: have um, They might do
2: that. Would do you, you guys take him with the Knicks?
0: Al Herford? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Al Herford. I mean, not yet. Not. Damn. Uh, 2000... we're, two, we're two
2: or three first. I know Shwinnie Poo on Twitter said for like <laughs> the unprotected 2024 because, you know, then by then Embiid might be long gone.
0: Well, I will say this. I do know that, um, you know, there's a lot of a big section of Knicks Twitter. I might throw myself in there a little bit too, that with where this team is in development, um, would be, I'm sorry, he said it
2: about Tobias.
0: Oh, Tobias. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But still even, Oh, okay. Even, even, you know, but, but something along that lines, right? Like, um, being able to take a, a big contract with, with some assets is something that I think a lot of Nick's Twitter is looking for this front office to do just based on, exactly like where we are in the development and, and how young our guys are and how far we are away from uh, winning. And then like the other side of that argument is always uh, locker room. If it's a guy that doesn't want to be here, uh, what does that do? What kind of message does it send? I don't know that it particularly matters as much as some people think. I think that, you know, most guys are professionals and, and will kind of not concern themselves if someone is is particularly like just down ab- about their situation if they're you know not in a place that they want to be but um with tobias man I, I i would really think about that um you know especially he's a long island guy you know like i do think I that, just there, you
1: said that know, there,
0: there's gonna be some motivation for him to play well in his hometown so i mean I, I would definitely think about that for sure
2: yeah with a couple picks attached are you guys in on bertons i saw that rumor today oh yeah big time what? You yeah. like him? Yeah.
1: I don't think it's feasible. I think Gallinari is more likely. Gallinari is my first choice just because I would love to have Gallinari back. Oh, yeah. And I think it's more likely Gallinari just may want to come back, and I think it would be interesting for him.
2: What would, the, also I don't what think... would the price for each of those guys be?
0: Gallo is going to be high, man. I mean, I, I think I think Gallo, what is he now? He's, He's 30 He's 31. 31. I yeah, mean,
2: he's definitely over 30.
0: I think, listen, I, I think Gal is going to get up. The thing, the thing with the Knicks is um, the, the best situation. 32. 32. The, the best situation that we can hope for is that, that there's somebody who can make a difference that might want to play um, on a higher annual salary for a lower amount of years or, or one year. Um, because, you know, the the front office seems that they want at least asset management, right? Like, it doesn't seem like they're trading off any picks. But even from a salary cap standpoint, they don't want to flood the books too much. Um, I mean, there was a report also that they said they were all in on Fred Van Vliet. I, I'm pretty sure he's going to command at least a three- or four-year deal, no matter what. But oh, I think sure.
2: Probably h- close to... Whatever the version of a Max that the... For him. Weird pandemic presents. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, Gallo... Honestly, man, I, I would not... I could not see Gallo signing anything less than a three- or four-year deal um, for a lot of money. Really? I, I, dude, I don't... I don't think so. He's... The think, about, think about the... Not just his production, right? When it comes to, like, Zach Lowe or anyone... Like, think of the people that have really promoted how well he's played and, like, what his... Um, I remember Zach Lowe wasn't this past season, but the season before had even talked about putting him on an All NBA team. Like that's how that's how good he was playing. So I, I do think that you know whoever his agent is, I'm sure has better access to some of those numbers and information than than I do. But I think he's I think he's going to get a pretty pretty good deal, even though he's on the wrong side of third. I mean, like he's he's still super super valuable. I think.
2: If somebody threw him like the JJ Reddick 2017 contract, that's what like, I was thinking. 24 yeah. million one year or something. I could mm-hmm. see him considering that and being like, "Hey, look, maybe the salary cap will rebound for 21, 22." Mm-hmm. That that for him, and
1: I think Nick's Twitter that that for him or for Goran Dragic,
2: <laughs> which I oh, think is yes. high. Yeah, Chip and I <laughs> both.
0: Chip and I will both love to see Goran Dragic in Madison Square Garden. Even
2: even if they draft a point guard. Um,
0: yeah. yeah, you know what? Why not, man? Mentor. I, unless it's, I mean, yeah. unless it's, I mean, we're not getting Lamelo anyway at, at the A spot, so I don't even think we're getting Killian Hayes at A either. So honestly, yeah, not, any right? any other complement of um, point guards at that level? Well, besides, I'm a big uh, Kyrie Lewis Jr. fan. And, yeah,
2: he looks pretty good.
0: Yeah, I like him a lot. So I, you they know, could get him at eight. But Goran, um, man, Goran is fun to watch. And you see even, we had a, a Heat's writer on, a Heat writer, uh, Colin Loring, who Chip had asked him too. you know, essentially when the Heat really need a bucket and, you know, Jimmy Butler is either not on the floor or whatever, who are they going to? And, and he said Goran Dragic, you know, like even with Bam, um, Duncan Robinson, who's, who's played extremely well,
2: he uh, can shoot. Kendrick that's, and that's what you need yeah. in that spot.
0: And off the and off the dribble, you know, not just from a standstill yeah. position. Like yeah. he's really dangerous when you give him like any space at all. I like that he keeps his dribble a lot too. I mean, I just think he's a good player.
2: So so you you'd be down to spend a bunch of money on a couple one year deals. Would you want them to try to buy draft picks, like take on a crappy contract?
0: I it de- a- it obviously depends on the 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 contract, but like Tobias, I would really consider, I, um, I, I, I think we that should, would
2: tie up your, your cap space. Yeah,
0: you. no, it, it would, it would. But I do think like with the assets, um, the Knicks seem to be positioning themselves for a trade for the next disgruntled star. Um, and I do think that however many more assets we can get can certainly help that, or at least limit the cupboard, uh, from being bare, if we do make a trade like that. Um, you, so that, can we
2: can we come up with like an algorithm to predict disgruntledness? <laughs>
0: <You're like, laughs> Listen, that's that's a, that's the next player impact plus minus, you know. I'm, <laughs> Thing that's coming out, I'm sure that uh, you know whoever is really We'd be good so rich. analytics Twitter is uh, working on John that Hollinger.
1: John yeah. Hollinger's working on
2: that. Right, right yeah, Hollinger. Now. What do you got for us?
0: <laughs> um, Dave, I was going to ask you also. We were we were on the topic of young players. I do want to ask if if there's any draft work that you've done. You know who you who might like for the Sixers, but I also wanted to ask you about uh, uh, Shake Milton and um, and also what happened with Zaire Smith, man. Um, Oh, yeah. Zaire Smith was like a guy, <laughs> obviously traded for uh, Mikael Bridges on draft night, um, a guy that I know a lot of analytics Twitter was really high on when he came out, yep. and uh, his athleticism was never in question. It was just the other parts of his game never really worked out. I know injuries were an issue for him, but I've, I've literally never watched him on a basketball court. Uh, I'm sure you've seen him a lot more than I did. What, what happened there?
2: You, you probably happen to have one of the biggest fans of his outside of his family, so I'll give you that as a disclaimer.
0: Okay.
2: <laughs> um, I, I think that he was, I think that was a great trade. You know, I, I, th- I know it hasn't worked out, so that's hard to say, but like yeah. the process of that trade, I liked. You get this unprotected pick from Miami, um, and you get a chance to take, you know, maybe Lonnie Walker, maybe Mike Porter Jr. falls, maybe Zaire Smith is there. And they they took Smith, and then, so he first he breaks his foot. Then he has this, like, unpredictable sesame allergy where he needs to get, like, uh, forget what it's called, endoscopy or something where they open your chest to help him breathe. Oh, my God. And so he was in the hospital for months. He had, like, you know, he lost, like, maybe 40 pounds or something. What? Yep. And he came back, and he had to recover from that. But he wasn't quite back to make the rotation at that point, which is fair. But he shot like thirty six percent from three in the G League this year. And so I I kinda wanna give him the like Joe Ellen B two year injury pass and just say, Hey, look, maybe you've got something moving forward. Let's just wipe those two years clean. It's hard to judge him. You know, imagine if you had never seen Neil Aquino for two years. Right. And just you wouldn't write him off. You'd say, All right, let's see what he can do. He, we, we know he's athletic. We know he could play D. If he could ever shoot, he's at least got a role. So I'm weirdly optimistic, even though I, I don't have the tremendous expectations, basically.
0: And how about uh, Milton?
2: Milton's pretty good. He's not, he's not like, he doesn't really pop in terms of any burst or shake. I didn't mean to say that, but that's a horrible thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, he, he he's a he's a knockdown shooter. He can hit a contested shot. Uh, his defense is lacking. Like, I feel like even Kemba Walker could get in his chest and finish over him, basically. And certainly anyone could blow by him. So he was Ill, in way over his head starting in that role. But he does look like he's got a future in the league, and he's on this like incredible i don't know how much he's gonna make over the next three years but it's not much so he's a great value for them if he's your if he can come in and like maybe play your i I don't know i almost said lou williams but that's not that's not fair to shake because lou is sick but you know what i mean like maybe he can be a microwave scorer off the bench
0: right i think uh, i mean i think that's fair um I, you know, I think you would take that for some of the guys. It's so, it's just so tough when you have a team that's a perennial contender, and you're also trying to develop guys too. Like Thybul, at least from what I remember coming out of Washington, was pretty highly touted. I know he didn't I know he didn't get drafted super super high, but I do remember everyone saying, "Listen, day one when he steps on an NBA court, he's going to be you know one of the best rookie defenders, if not you know an above average defender already in the league." And, like, he's definitely been that. Like, he blows up plays. His activity is crazy. Um, always active hands. You know, I'm sure he's a really good health defender, too. Like, it's a lot of fun watching him play.
2: Yeah, he he's a really, really good defender. It was unfortunate what happened without Ben, because if you could put Ben Simmons on Jason Tatum, you could put in Thible and just let him sort of help off Smart, maybe, and wreak havoc all over the court. But... They tried to put Thibault, who was literally a rookie, on Tatum, and he just got smoked. He's not—he's not the best on-ball defender. He's not like a freak athlete in that way. He—he uh, he often like you see a lot of street ball players do this. Like he lets you blow by him, and then he pokes it away from behind you. Mm-hmm. But it's—but not in a lazy way. He does yeah. it like in a—I have a crazy wingspan way. Right. So, but that didn't it's work. The mellow steal. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, except that he's like really good at it, not like uh, <laughs> yeah, not playing yeah. defense way. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, he, it, as a complementary defensive piece, I like him. His shot is just not pretty though. Like his his shooting elbow is is out like a bird wing, and so that, that hurts. Especially like you said, like you're trying to balance winning with development and you've got Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and Al Horford out there. You need shooters and he's not one. So it wasn't like an ideal circumstance for him.
0: Um, there's obviously a, you know, huge I'm sure this is a massive topic of discussion for 76ers Twitter, Reddit, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> um, I, you know, it, I feel like I'm sure it's somewhat of a tired discussion, but the whole Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons dynamic um, you have, you know, very loud voices on Twitter uh, saying that one of them absolutely needs to go. Um, you know, I've seen people talk about uh, Joel's numbers when, you know, the, he's off the court. I've seen him talk about Ben, and obviously with his uh, shooting difficulties. Um, you know, Ellen Brand came out and said, at least from my standpoint, what I, what I thought was, you know, that the GM would say is that when you have two talents like this, you try to make it work as long as possible. Do you think it's possible to make it work with them? Do you think one of them has to go? Um, What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I I find it frustrating because I think it's possible. I think when they had Robert Covington, they were well on their way. I mean, you could have penciled them in for like 52 wins every year, and now you're what, a J.J. Redick and maybe a George Hill away from winning the East one year. Right. Um, Maybe not. Maybe you needed Jimmy Butler. And then when you did have Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris definitely could have worked. Right. They, they had probably the worst bench I could ever even like, if I read to you, some of the guys on that bench for the playoffs last year, where they lost by two points to the champs. It was horrendous. I mean, Jonathan Simmons, unplayable cork at the time was unplayable. Greg Monroe and Bobon were both like, you know, a minus 30 combined going into one of those last games. So, if you could have put just a couple decent guys, I know Ben Dietrich always says, just put Luke Cornett out there. <laughs> He'll knock down an open three. Um, put, a, put Shabazz Napier. If they had just one or two guys, it could have worked. So I can't rule out them working together. It's just, can it work now that you're straddled with this like monstrosity of a roster? Now it's hard. Because now how are you going to get a two-way, you know, like a three-and-D point guard to play alongside Ben George Hill would be perfect, honestly. Seth Curry would be perfect. Um, Let's see. Like, you need a small forward, and you need, I don't know, maybe a Josh Richardson, although he's not my favorite. But a one, two, and a three, basically, I would try. They need cap flexibility, right?
1: I mean, can they make any sort of moves to get a guy, even?
2: No. I'm not sure. Like, even if you just absolved Horford, it's still over the cap. So, like – it's it's so foregone to even think about cap space at this point. They'd have to like mm-hmm. straight up dump Horford for like Alfred Payton's not yet guaranteed contract, <laughs> and the same for I don't know. They'd have to take Taj Ellington. It, it's impossible. So yeah. I don't see cap space in any. You know, they'd have to work with like a biannual exception and a mid-level exception. It's, it's like six million bucks. JaVale McKee.
0: What um do you see this is another kind of uh thing I've been you know just kind of thinking about do you see either one of them meaning Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid asking for a trade next season
2: Yeah I think if I had to guess I think Joel would already like one I don't think he's going to ask for it I think he's committed to Philadelphia at this point But if you were him and you saw like how, you know, how smart the team was. Like, the team was winning trades on, a, like, a weekly basis when they had Sam Hinkie. And when his, his brother passed away, Sam Hinkie showed up. Brett Brown showed up. And then he sees them sort of get ousted. And then you bring in Colangelo's, who start trading all these picks, all, all these picks out for bad players, you know. Ish Smith, inking contracts for, like, Jared Bayless, using two picks to get Markel Fultz. And on and on and on, and now now he's out there trying to post up when Horford is posting up right next to him. So if I were him, and I think you could tell once in a while, like he doesn't hide it, he says he misses Butler and Reddick. I think he's disgusted, and I think he feels I can't believe that this is my this is my fate, and I'm now heading into my prime. So I don't think he wants to ask out. I don't think he's ready. I think he's going to give him a chance to, to figure it out. But I do think they're on the clock.
1: Mm.
0: I mean that would certainly be uh <laughs> that would be pretty interesting for the rest of the NBA. Um
2: Yeah, um, I don't know what his market would be. It'd be weird. One thing probably would, Miami.
0: One thing yeah. Oh my god. Him and him and Butler actually that was something that was also thrown out there too. You know, would would Miami's uh group of young players, you know, some combination of Hero Robinson Hero Bam or or two or, or all three future picks w- would it be enough to get Embiid um, and then Embiid and Butler? But you know what? I always listen. Embiid is so good, but but health is such a massive issue for him. But yeah, uh, I love what the Heat have going on there, man. Sometimes I just yeah. Feel would like they I'm, even trade Bam right right now?
2: Right. I think the Heat would do it in a heartbeat. I, I think the Sixers would be right to wonder about. Ben and Bam, like you'd need Bam because Bam is so good. But Bam can't shoot, and yeah. Bam and Ben would be Brick City for sure. Well, you know the spacing there would be brutal. But uh, yeah, I think Miami would do that. I mean, Riley is sort of like Daryl Morey in that way, where it's all about talent. Get the talent in, and then you'll figure it out. So I think he would take Joe Allen. He'd probably just give him a put him on a Spurs program, sixty games, one hundred percent for the playoffs. Right. Maybe they even get them in shape.
0: Um. Uh, one thing I wanted to... We were actually supposed to start the podcast this way, but one thing I was <laughs> thinking of is, uh, you know, we are offline, we were talking, Dave, and you had told us that you started off as a Knicks fan. Uh, Chip and I are obviously both Knicks fans. So I wanted you to kind of just talk to us a little bit about that and, and, and you know, when you made the decision to switch to the 76ers. And Chip, you let me know if you if you have any more questions any other 76ers stuff like Totally, uh, you know, uh, get in there for sure, and then. Uh, but I'm very interested to see how uh, the the Knicks fandom switched to the 76ers fandom.
2: Yeah, so I I was a diehard Knicks fan, okay. um, you know, Patrick Ewing Dazed. and it, they just slowly started to lose me. I guess probably probably started, I guess, in the early two thousands when things started Murray, going days. south. And then the Phil years were essentially the final straw for me.
0: Wow!
2: Um, I was not a fan of them bringing in Phil. First of all, I didn't I didn't like Phil because of the Knicks Bulls rivalry, and you know he would always like poke Jeff Van Gundy in the media, so I, I didn't want to root for him. But I also didn't think he was the best hire, um, and. I guess it started, like, debating my friends. Like, Phil's a terrible hire. So many of my friends were excited. Um, the, the Amari Stoudemire contract, that, that definitely drove a wedge between me and the Knicks. I, I was not happy about the Stoudemire. And then I saw, finally I saw the process. I had been living in Philly for a bit. I, uh, I took a class with their broadcast guy, Mark Zumoff. So I started, I was at least open-minded to rooting for a second team, even if it wasn't, like, my primary team. But once I saw what they were doing with the process, I was like, oh, this is what I wanted the Knicks to do. Just, you know, who cares? You're going to suck, but just go get, like, the next Michael Jordan, pair him up with the next Pippin, whatever, and get it done. And so I was, I was sold as soon as they started doing that, probably 13, 14, 15. Um, and I started rooting for him, and, and the Knicks were going through what they were going through. Like, they did it with Porzingis, which was ironic right because I'm rooting now for the Sixers to lose and I'm rooting for the Knicks to win which is rooting against the Knicks because I didn't want them to get towns so that was a, that was when I realized I had reached some sort of moral fan weirdness
0: <laughs> that's pretty But interesting. now
2: but now but it was ownership essentially like it becomes hard after you see such terrible ownership for so long and then I go to Philly thinking, oh, they've got good ownership, but now it doesn't feel like that at all. Now it feels a lot like the Knicks. They're like foisting their the, the people they're weirdly loyal to onto the next GM, which ensures that you're not going to get the next best GM.
1: I wonder if it's like that with every team, where they just, <laughs> where they always have, they have their guys in every single front office that there's some teams we just don't hear about it, like we do with the Knicks and the
2: Sixers and, like it's the just Nets, so I think public that With the Knicks and the Sixers, yeah. like it's yeah. so public. It's like yeah. David Griffin would have taken the job, but then you signed Tim Hardaway Jr. and you insisted he take Allen. Yeah, Jr. yes. <laughs> and the Sixers, it's like you have to work with everyone. Brian Colangelo hired. I think that's uh, bananas. <laughs> it's yep, it's just cr- <laughs> like as a fan, you're like, why? Why would you do that to anyone?
0: going back to phil man like i there is actually still if you can believe do it do we
1: have
2: to no right, have i to? the
0: only thing i just i just <laughs> i just want to it's a good wanna, day for phil cause I know. he's like
1: hey i told you i tried to trade kp look at his right. name i my, yeah yeah he's my, he's happy right yeah, now yeah yes,
0: he's he's <laughs> chewing Peyote in montana or, or whatever yeah. it is but yeah
1: feed up his feed up
0: yeah um I, but the 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 thing that i hate to go back to phil but i do like i have to vent the one thing that always kills me about Phil, there's still actually a, a small section, if you can believe it or not, of Nick's Twitter that will defend him. Um, and what kills me uh, besides some of you know, the really questionable personnel decisions was like just like – I don't know if you remember this, Dave, but like the unprofessionalism that came with yeah. the Phil Files – Right, the um, I forget Chip. What was it? The, the writer's name, Charlie. Charlie uh, Rosen. Charlie, Charlie Rosen. Rosen. Right? He writes was, about detailed yeah. Conversations with players. Like I could not believe it. And this was the guy. And everyone at the time was like, "Well, this is a Zen master. Like this is a motivational tactic. Like no, it's ridiculous." And we'll like, posse? I couldn't. Yeah, man. posse game. <laughs> I was so stunned. Yeah. I was so stunned when it happened and I was like, this is not going to work. And then, you know, you trade Tyson Chandler for a bucket of balls and, you know, we had Samuel D'Alembert and Jason Smith playing center for us at one point. Like, but That, I was, that like, was
2: the perfect oh God, uh, accidental yeah. tank move, wasn't oh. it? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. They, that's how they the running for Porzingis.
0: Yeah, I think the only two signings, um, you know, maybe I'm forgetting, but I actually, I did like the Robin Lopez signing. He played relatively well for us. Aflalo, you know, had some decent games here and there, but man, you can't that was give like, credit
2: for Lopez because he then should have just kept Lopez oh, and never signed Noah. Him
0: for yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, the Noah thing. Oh, oh.
2: God, yeah,
1: disgrace. <laughs>
0: that is wild, man. Um, yeah, that honestly, after that whole debacle, I don't really blame you, man. Um, you know, at least you've you've enjoyed some playoff basketball, which is you know, the last thing that, that Chip and I can say. Um, it's
2: funny though. It's not like, it was never a conscious choice. It just happened over time. Right. Know? It was like slowly, slowly getting disgusted with one team, slowly getting intrigued by another. And then one day I realized like, you know, once I saw Embiid was good, I was like, all right, this is it. I'm all in.
0: You brought up the dating dynamic earlier and it's like, you had this long distance relationship, and all of a sudden, like the absence didn't necessarily make the heart grow fonder for the Knicks. And all of a sudden, right. you had you know the the Sixers looking real nice, you know, right in front of you, and you know, trusting the process and going through this whole uh, restructuring. And I was like,
1: yeah, you know what,
0: Wells Fargo. You know, I'll go over there. I'll see some games. It might have been. It might have been. Was it still Comcast when when you just moved over there, or? yeah i had comcast when i lived
2: there i had pico comcast um but what was it what was the the name of the uh,
0: the arena before it was wells fargo wasn't it comcast or no am i just off on that
2: um spectrum
0: oh okay okay all right yeah um yeah but uh yeah i i can't blame you one bit there at all for sure um Chip, is there anything else uh, Sixers related you have for Dave?
1: No, no. I wanted to ask about Simmons and Embiid and the fit, and I we asked uh, we asked everything. I wanted to ask about Brown yeah. and Embiid and Simmons.
0: I think uh, I think yeah. I think we got a whole bunch of uh, Sixers stuff yeah. in there as well. All right. Um, but Dave, listen, man. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. We definitely appreciate you spending some time today talking Sixers with us. Before we yeah, let you fun. go. Um, if you can tell, you know, all the good people where they can find you on Twitter, if there's anything you're working on right now that you want to promote, uh, please feel free to do so.
2: Uh, yeah, find me at David Early, D-A-V-I-D-E-A-R-L-Y on Twitter. Uh, I write for Liberty Ballers, so, you know, I'll post there a few times a week. And um, yeah, it was fun. I, I, it was a good distraction because I, was, I had a heavy heart watching uh, watching these boycotts today, so Appreciate you guys.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely, ple- man. Pleasure is ours. And, and what we're hoping to do is, you know, when we bring writers on, uh, when something big happens with the franchise, you know, you're the first person that we want to talk to. So uh, we hope you're willing to, to come back on. And, uh, you know, thanks again for talking some Sixers with us today.
2: For sure. My pleasure. Just let me know.
0: Awesome. Well, we most definitely will. And uh, for everyone listening, I hope everyone is staying safe. And we will talk with you soon. All right,
2: guys.